Hello again. Brace yourself. You're about to be curioed. Dun, dun, dun. I don't even know what that means. It's the <laughs> Weekly Curio Podcast. I'm the Whip Theaters, Tom Britton. And I'm College of Curiosities, Jeff Wagg. We begin every episode of the Weekly Curio, whether you like it or not, with the first half of our puzzle. During the Korean War in the 1950s, an old man proudly showed off a medal he was awarded for valor during the Battle of the Somme in November of 1916. One of the largest battles of World War I, the Somme claimed one million casualties. On the back of the medal it said, For meritorious service in the Somme, World War I, long live the king. The bartender saw this medal and said, You'll be buying your own drinks from now on. This metal's a fake. How did he know it was a fake? Do you ever look at your lime jello and wonder what it's thinking? Uh, I often wonder what I'm thinking by eating it. Yeah, you must be in a nursing home or you just had an appendix removed or or you've got a tragic life or a weird dessert fetish. It appears that brainwaves can be detected in lime jello. It's absolutely true. If you hook up an EEG, which is an electroencephalograph, the machine that, you know, you put all the wires in your head, that machine, hook it up to a nice lime jello mold, and it will detect brain activity. And why would you be hooking a lime? <laughs> so the scientists that's sitting around at lunch... They're just walking around. They just had a bunch of EEG time. We're like, yeah, no, we got to so, use all this or else next year we won't get it in our EEG budget. <laughs> it was done for a very important reason. So knowing when someone's dead in a medical setting is very important. And the, the gold standard. And Jell-O's a very important detection tool. <laughs> There's lots of Jell-O in the, in the hospital. <laughs> but, Do you want Jell-O? No, you must be dead. <laughs> he's, he's dead, Jim. He's dead. And so, you know, detecting brain waves would indicate that someone was alive, right? So brain death is the gold standard for you're dead if your brain is dead. Even if your heart's beating, if you have no brain, you yeah, don't vegetative exist. state or whatever yeah. they call it. Now, what this guy was saying is that, look, EEGs aren't a really great way to measure this, and let me prove it. And so he went to Jell-O and tested it with the machine, and the Jell-O came back as something thinking. Ah, uh, this is neurologist Adrian Upton. Yeah. Pioneering work on electroencephalography. On gelatin desserts, starting in the 1960s, I hope his Nobel Prize specifies on gelatin desserts. <laughs> At least his Ig Nobel Prize. The greatest one. scientist to ever study the gelatin dessert, comma gelatin. Thoughts of the common Jello. So it turns out <laughs> it's really important, and and a lot has been made of how what a joke this is. But he did he did prove that the EEG machines pick up transient signals. The lime Jello wasn't actually giving off brainwaves, but the machine was picking up something that made it look like thought was going on. And the guy's point was this, that if you hook up an EEG to someone and you get readings, that doesn't mean the readings are coming from the person. He first did this in Britain in 1969. No one really noticed. He moved to Canada to teach at McMaster University. Again, he tried in 74 at Ontario ICU. And then finally, the New York Times gave him a write-up in 1976 and in the 70s, the New York Times is a huge deal. Yeah. It is a, up until about the 90s, it's a huge deal. Yeah. And there's there's when it finally breaks through to the public consciousness. And now he's removed an argument from what we define as dead in the modern medical sense. Right. And so what they, you know, now, EEGs, there are many different, there's different types of brainwaves and stuff. And so 
all this does is say the fact that there is brainwave activity detected does not mean you're alive. It's the patterns. A normal person's living brain, even when they're asleep or even when they're in a coma, will exhibit certain patterns. Jello can't do that. Yeah, feel, fear <laughs> not, my friends. Your Yet. lime jello is in no way judging you. Well, no. We may judge you for having lime jello, but that's a separate thing. If you dream of being a driver for the UPS delivery system, you have to practice making right turns and equally important, practice not making left-hand turns. This would be really hard if you were a NASCAR driver. Don't work for UPS. The worst. They're very fast. Remember, they make it up in volume. <laughs> yeah, right. This is their example of their obsession with efficiency. They... they Every single thing counts. Absolutely. So I used to work for UPS. I was a, a Christmas helper, you know, but I noticed... You, you were an elf. That's I was an elf, called. right. That's an elf. I was the guy who ran around putting packages In under... In green your, tights with pointy ears. Yeah, brown tights, but yes. Brown tights? <laughs> that was a brownie. That would be awesome! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, you know... So this was back in the day before we used computers. You had to handwrite the address, and when you wrote the address down... In the 1870s, down, when Jeff worked for UPS... And they would yell at you if you wrote, like, street. Like, okay, Main Street? No, you don't write that. You just write Main. Don't write ST. Never write periods. Periods were not allowed. You would get Be in trouble. Because it that's the, that's a time factor. It would take a millisecond, a fraction of a second, and when you add those up over the course of a year, you have 10,000 drivers who write street. Oh, it costs yeah, them okay. an hour. You know, it's, but that's how this company thinks. Um, I always hate that in the ma micro, but yeah, they're right in the macro. They are. You write avenue, you write lane, you write what yep. boulevard. All you their default to street. Yeah, the street and right, and then for avenue you write A, for boulevard you write B. This is such a nerd thing too. Of like, our brains love to do that mm -hmm. to solve. Like, no, no, the the butter knives go on the left, honey, because <laughs> right. they, I'm I less often use butter than I do spoons because I prefer soup. And There's then your friends look at you like, what are you doing? I guess one day you go on to... So if you're that weird obsessive, go work for UPS. Yeah, now you notice their trucks. Um, they're brown. Why? It hides dirt. That's that's why the UPS trucks are brown. Why are they shaped like that? You ever notice UPS trucks aren't shaped like any other truck? They're more aerodynamic. In fact, they just came out with a new truck that now has a curved windshield, which is even more aerodynamic. And they keep those trucks forever. The truck I was in was 20 years old, and it was on its seventh starter. I mean... That's that's amazing, and also, <sighs> yeah, it is, it is Howard Hughes-level bizarre. Right. Every last thing they think about. So the left turn thing, why don't you turn left? Because it wastes gas and time. Because every time you turn left, you have to cut across traffic and probably wait for a light. And a right turn, you can always get there. Yeah. It's, you know, it's yeah. It, it once you say it out loud, it makes sense. But this is why I don't run UPS or even their efficiency <laughs> division. The street thing I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, no, why the, the make brown sense. vehicles? I would, you, your marketing people tell you what color your logo is. Your advertising, right? You do no. studies on how attractive it is to customers, and does it bring in business? I'm sure that's why FedEx has a white truck. It yeah. looks nicer, right? And you see it, and right. But no, no, they the brown truck, for one example, is definitely for specific reasons, like everything with the company. So, so I, I moved here from New Orleans, and we do this thing where you cannot make a left at the light. Right. For a similar kind of... Now, I think it's more geographic definition than a, that we're, we're not an efficient people. In the world. <laughs> That's not our thing, man. Speed is At not Music, the way. we got. Food, we got. Efficiency, look, I'm going to be late. 
Just deal, play some music and eat some beans. I'll be yeah, there soon right. enough. I can do that. A laissez-faire is the attitude we have down there. <laughs> okay, so what you do to turn, you go through the light to a roundabout. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no, it's just it's just a, a cut through the median there. It's not a proper roundabout. Okay. You're going to make a U-turn and then make your right turn. Oh, yeah. So okay, sucks yeah. for you adds 35, 40 seconds to your left turn. But everybody else, you pull out into that little median, and we keep going past you. Yeah. So in the in the mi- macro, it's it's better. Here's the problem: you're a tourist. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't think you go to make your Louis, and you're going to cut across a median, a wide divide in the street there, and there's a streetcar in that divide. Yeah. Which, coming the mm, same way, and it plows into you. You do not expect that. It's and here's why it's funny. Because you're stopped. <laughs> it's always funny. And the streetcar can't do more than 30. These are ancient streetcars from the from the 1930s or 40s themselves. So they're maybe going 35 miles an hour. Then the person slams on the brakes. It won't stop on a dime. No. It slides on the tracks. But drops us down to 15, 20. So we kind of hit you and then push you about 10 feet. <laughs> right. So no one's dead. No one's got whiplash. But it's hilarious because some tourist just got smashed. And it's suddenly like, part oh, of amateur. the train. Go back to Galveston, you sucker. <laughs> and now we come to the portion of the show where I make my brothers and cousins extremely angry. <laughs> now that they listen to podcasts. But, but multiple scientific studies confirm extreme conservatism linked to racism and low IQ. is an extreme And that's the key. Yeah. This, this is not even quite Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. This is not quite Glenn Beck. This is further than that. This is guys flying planes into buildings. Yeah. This is guys and, and gals, mostly guys, because we're idiots, yeah. beheading people in the streets. This is not your average, Obama's a Muslim from Kenya, <laughs> which is my cousins. How you doing, guys? Oh, wow. Uh, and a lot of my family. This is not Fox News anchors. That's not extreme. That's high level, but not extreme. I mean, Megyn Kelly is just blathering the yeah. talking points that, that her boss gave her. Say this. Yeah, it, it, that's different. That's, that's just conservatism. This is the radicals and the weirdos, which means if you can help with the racism part, you can eliminate the extreme conservatism. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot have the idiots in charge. So we see this on the other side. I'm, you talk about the extremist Muslims. You talk about the right wing, but we're talking neo-Nazi level. Yeah, this is. Yeah. So don't don't go to your, your local temple <laughs> looking for those no, no. folks. But it, what it's interesting is that there's a there's a correlation and you know the causation is what is the causation you know is it that these people have lower function and therefore can't reason beyond these ancient ideas i think that if you're not that bright the world's a scary place yeah if you live in a world of absolutes if you live in a world right. of heaven and hell if you live in a world of demons you live in a world of a schizophrenic <laughs> and yeah, this is why it freaks demons. me out to speak to extremely religious people. And I mean nuns and priests. All mm-hmm. I can think when I'm talking to a priest is, you've never had sex. That you know of. Right? But And yet you have eternal uh, 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 nocturnal emissions. Yeah, well, you do that. You probably, do that. Yes. You don't take care of it. It takes care of itself mm-hmm. as a male. <laughs> you, you don't do it. It does it. And that's all I can think of when I'm talking to a 50-year-old priest. Is just, you're experiencing what I experienced at 14. Yeah. It weirds me out. And you live in a world where demons possess people. That's a scary world. I don't want to live in that world. Yeah, That's a paranoid either. schizophrenic. The CIA are bugging my feelings. Yeah. And if you live in that world and you you can't reason your way out of that bubble, even to a point of a, a, an intelligent religious person, Yes, I believe in God, but I don't think that demons are making that young lady flop on the ground. I think instead that's a grand mal. 
Mm-hmm. If you yeah, can't even good. get there, yeah. where you can ra- where you can rationalize this real world, my appendix ex- has burst. Everyone pray. You go, no, <laughs> right. take me to the hospital. I'll, I'll pray on the way to the hospital. Thank you. <laughs> I can't imagine living in that world for a moment. A lot Things of I don't do. understand. Someone smarter than me dumbs it down and explains it to me. Stephen Hawking wrote a book for me. For my dumbass, <laughs> you know, a brief history of time is not written for his peers. Which I admit that I still can't understand completely. I don't get the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, but but that's his point. Is it, he'll meet me half, not even halfway. He'll meet me mostly on my side of the coin, <laughs> as much as he can. Before it gets too dumb, why bother? Just you don't understand it. Move on. Can you imagine living in and in a part of the world where you can't fix it? If you are intelligent, there's no public library system. No, most no, of Afghanistan doesn't know they live in Afghanistan. When you go into the mountains, they don't know where they live. There's no, no maps. If you go back and look up the history of Curiosity, which is something I do fairly often, it's kind of my job. Curiosity was a bad thing. Yes, gaining knowledge was bad because it would it would make it difficult for you to stick with your absolutes, which is a comfort, as you said. And I think that there's something here where if we just keep our old firm, strong, black and white, no pun intended, values, then we will be safer. You default to that, too. If you're not smart enough to break out of them, you just accept the world as it is told to you. Right. Yeah, so when you're, when your cleric or your, your shaman or whatever tells you those people are bad because of their color, their religion, or because they're yeah. female and we're or whatever, men and we're right. clearly superior. Look, I can yeah. beat her up. That means I'm better. Yeah, jeez. And you're not that bright. Then you go, yeah, and racism and low intelligence also goes kind of hand in hand. If you don't ever break out of your bubble, you don't ever go, well, I'm going to go to the synagogue this week and, and test that theory. Well, and I'm going to go hang out at the, the rally uh, to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day right. and test your theory that black people are dumb. Yeah, no, and then right. you, Good you, point. Meet, you meet Neil deGrasse Tyson and you come back and go, hey, guys, I got news. Uh, I found one that's different. Therefore, your theory is flawed. You don't break that bubble. And it keeps going back in the same cycle. If, if, if you're in this mindset, you will never look at the other side. You just keep looking for your own stuff. You keep listening to your Infowars or whatever extremist site that you like, and that's it. And you look for more and more extreme. That's it. Your goal is more and more extreme. You're not trying to learn anything. You know what the difference might be? They aren't fascinated by the other opinion. No, right? I no, read it's just wrong. Wars. I find it fascinating. I have mm-hmm. read St. Mm-hmm. Thomas of Aquinas. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating. I believe he's completely wrong. Yeah, I believe sure. both of those are completely wrong. His logic for God existing is ridiculously dumb. His <laughs> premise is flawed, thus his logic is stupid, but his writing is really good. Mm-hmm. The guy can turn a phrase. Even translated can turn a phrase. I find the other view fascinating. Right. And they don't. Well, that's it. Because How do we get them to find our view interesting? Yeah. It's at all interest. the Fox News viewers, the extreme ones, not the average ones, the extreme ones we're talking about, never flip to see what Rachel Maddow's opinion is of the State of the Union, other than to mock. Which, but even then, they barely do. Yeah, it. they will. They hardly yeah. ever do. It's. I find opposite opinions of mine interesting because wow, how, I want to know how someone could come to that conclusion, yes. and there is a reason. They're not. There is. There is a reason why people have opposite views, and what I often find is that they simply have different values, and they're trying to maximize their values, which is all anyone is trying to do, and that's fine. Yeah, I, you know what I think the difference might be. You and I, at least, seem to be obsessed with process. Yeah, sure. How did you get from I believe in God 
therefore, your employer shouldn't have to give you access to birth control <laughs> and health insurance. Very poignant as we're recording How this. did you get from here to there? I don't understand that. Yeah. I don't understand that at all. So I want to then listen to Rush Limbaugh explain that or Hannity explain that to find out their process. So separate from the opinion, the process is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what also made me curious and also made me question and also made me learn these other values, these other systems. And they don't have that curiosity. They don't care how I got to the idea of, no, no, that's a woman's body. It's her choice. <laughs> right. They don't go, fascinating, interesting. No, How did don't. you get to the idea that she could murder her baby in her body? <laughs> How did you come to that conclusion, Tom? They never ask. No, because you're evil. And I wonder, is, is that the jumping off part? I mean, is I that think simple so. for them? You're wrong. You're evil. I don't need to know any more about evil. I'm supposed to avoid evil. Well, the you're wrong, we're the same on. I, you're wrong. You feel this. Yeah. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. You believe in a magical bearded guy that watches you when you shower. And yet I find your process interesting. Then you look at me and yeah, say, you're no. wrong because you don't believe in my magical bearded man what watches me shower. And you turn off your brain. It's a threat somehow. You know, that's that's what I find interesting is I don't find any knowledge threatening. It's all knowledge. It's all good. That's what it means to be a curious person. You want more knowledge. If you have an opinion, opposing views are only good. They're only more knowledge. And they might cement your view or you might have to reconsider. Either way, you win. Is it a cognitive masochism? <laughs> do we enjoy being wrong? I have reveled I in the fact that sure. we've discovered on this podcast things in doing research for like the wrong mm-hmm. segment or whatever, where I go, oh, I, I thought that was true. Yeah, I always, I, I don't, I, I'm annoyed that I didn't know until now, but yeah. I always want to know. Do we like cognitive dissonance? No. That pain? What, like a masochist would. Do we love it and hate it at the same time? The way you do when you try and run a half marathon. The way you do when yeah. you're weightlifting. Well, if I have a to bro- give to give safe PG examples of masochism, <laughs> when, when yeah. you know, like when you're you're building something and you're tired, you're fatigued, you have blisters, yet you persevere, you right. push on, you take pride in that. Do we maybe take pride in the blisters on our brain? Yet we continue. Oh, it hurt. Yeah. I was wrong. My pet theory. I've written twenty five dissertations on. I've never written a dissertation. But <laughs> <laughs> and and you just blew it out of the water. Thank you, fellow scientists. Right. Do we enjoy that pain? I don't enjoy the pain, but what I enjoy is I, I feel like it's always a gain. So it's like, for me, it's like finding out that your leg is broken. Holy cow. I've been doing this all this time with my broken leg. I didn't even know it. Now I know it. Now I can fix my leg. Now I can get better. I will be a better person afterwards. So then our challenge seems to be that. How do we get people with lower IQ in desperate situations. This isn't your Aunt Rhoda. No. Her, her crazy oh, ends at her front door, generally. <laughs> well, she's not taking to the streets to to lynch, to kill, to put in camps. Mostly not. To exterminate. Not. Mm-hmm. She just is, is conservative. She's just a little racist. She's a little anti-Semitic. But generally harmless. Let's go a couple dozen steps further. Those These poor people in terrible circumstances with low IQ, probably linked to nutrition... Probably Could linked be. to prenatal yeah, vitamins. Hookworm or whatever. Born right. into a situation. How do you get that person to like the feeling of metaphorical leg mending? Yeah, right. That's it. I, you know, the, That's the next Nobel Prize. The you solve that puzzle knowledge. 
and you give us an answer, because I'll tell you right now, yelling at them on Facebook doesn't work. No. No, in fact, and it, it has been studies have shown that if you t- if you inform someone that they're incorrect, they will believe the incorrect beliefs stronger. That makes no sense, but it's true. There is now life on Mars. It's absolutely true. There didn't used to be. Well, we don't know, <laughs> but but we put it there. Congra- thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome, Mars. Yeah, congratulations. Mars, welcome. You welcome to the the very small number of planets that have life on them. You win. Its surface now contains at least sixty five bacterial species. We've liberated Mars with our freedom. <laughs> well, we sent sixty five. We don't actually know how many survived, but. So the deal is, when we send probes, we're supposed to clean them. We, we don't, we're looking to see if there was life on Mars. And if we send life up there, well, it's going to screw up our readings. Fal- but, false positives in yeah. the extreme. So Curiosity, the rover, the big one that we sent that had an amazing landing a few years ago, um, they did some swabs on it before it left. And those swabs grew into 60 different microbes. So we know that those microbes went up there. Or at least, yeah, started on the transit. Yeah. And then they're extremophiles, though. So the number that right. landed could be all 65 or could be two. We don't know. And they, they did studies with the, the cultures, and 11 of them survived all kinds of, like, bombarding with microwaves and radiation. Desiccation. Yeah. Ultraviolet light, extreme cold, extreme pH, and 11% of the bacterial strains they found 11%. survived at okay. least two conditions. Yeah. So amazing. then mathematically, that means any combination of those... All of them could have lived, or yeah. random chunks of them could have. So if you got the pH, but not the extreme cold, or the heat, but not the whatever desiccation. Yep. It, absolutely insane that we're now putting our life on other planets. Someone proposed that uh, putting mm-hmm. water bears and sending it to sure. one of the moons of uh, probably Jupiter or yeah, Jupiter, I think Saturn it was Jupiter. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah, water bears live in space. You know, tardigrades they can live in space. It's interesting. It's an interesting thing that um, you know. There's a lot to think about here. Like, bacteria have to eat. What do they eat on Mars? You know, if they're photosynthetic, well, then they've got light to eat. But then they need basic minerals. Oh, wait, those are found up there. You know, we have the technology to actually create an ecosystem on Mars. It's very, very slowly prepping the planet for human life. (laughs) Over a couple hundred million years, we're going to terraform that sucker. Yeah, it's true. But what we... You know, imagine, imagine, here's your sci-fi story that someone's probably already written. It's Mars, two million years in the future, and the intelligent beings living there are trying to figure out their origins, and they propose that an alien species had actually put them there. Well, guess what, folks? We are that alien species. I've heard this theory about life on Earth yeah. uh, coming from a meteorite yeah. Pan from Spermia, another planet. Yeah. Say it again? Panspermia, that's the name for that. And it lands in the primordial ooze, yeah. and that's the initial protein chain that, yeah. that evolves Starts into the, the cellular. Which is a, a fascinating theory that we're now doing that, yeah. which is like this uh, dysporia or whatever it's called when plants do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, something, something, I think I'm off by a letter, but it's something <laughs> like that where they seed, quite literally mm-hmm. in their case, other worlds. Yeah, the exploration. But now you go to the paradox was if there's intelligent life somewhere in the universe and it propagates planet to planet to planet, how long does it take to get here? Right. And it's yeah, a few we million years. Yeah. And so they should be here. And, and yet they aren't. Not. Right. Well, and there's a, when you look at life on earth and you look at all the things that have influenced it, we have a moon. That's exactly where it is. And that made the tides move. And those tides affected how species were born. And then we had all these 
uh, cataclysmic events that killed off some species but left others and they grew and they became us eventually. What would it be like on a planet that didn't have those things? You know, what if the dinosaurs weren't killed off? What would be here now? And the we, answer, we have to grow dinosaurs on Mars know. is what we're saying. Yeah, people. we need dinosaurs on that's Mars. What that's what Jeff right. and I are getting yeah, at. We need to put together a program. <laughs> We've got a Kickstarter. <laughs> Just go to bit.ly.com slash this is all made up and donate to our Kickstarter. What we're going to do is take the frozen amber blood of a mosquito, right. launch it to Mars, hope for the best. We need 82 million. You know, that could work. <laughs> We're gonna feed the microbes. That's all we're gonna do. Ooh, a dinosaur blood, delicious. I, no, I'm just. I don't tech, forget the technology. You don't need the technology. You just do the Kickstarter. Just and faith. Figure it out you later. just need faith, yeah. you guys. We're gonna launch it and then pray in that direction every night. <laughs> and then dinosaurs on Mars. Ta-da! You're welcome. And once again, we thank you for downloading the Weekly Curio and spending time with us. Do me a favor. Tell a friend. Yeah, please. You can share it on Facebook. You can give it away. You can put it a message in a bottle. You can send yeah, it via Morse fun. code. This is a Creative Commons, so if you want to repurpose right. it, we don't really mind. If you're a tech geek, if you can pull our file from our feed, that allows us to track the number of downloads. Yeah, that'd be If nice. that didn't make sense to you, don't worry about it. Burn it to CD. <laughs> hand it to Edna at work. Totally cool with us. You can do with it as you please. Until next week, I'm Tom Britton. And I'm Jeff Wagg from the College of Curiosity, but I before I answer the puzzle, just want to let people know, College of Curiosity does trips. We do trips all around the world, and our next trip is going to Australia. This is in March of 2015. You've got plenty of time. Imagine traveling to crazy places in the world with people like you, because that's really what we offer. We're a group of curious people. You are instantly among friends, and we're not doing the normal touristy stuff. We're doing it with a bend towards curiosity. We're going to go to the Loyalty Islands. We're going to go to New Caledonia. We're going we're gonna to pet kangaroos. Yes, we will pet kangaroos. It's the same cruise you could take. For the same money. Yeah, the money's the same. But now you've narrowed down the people you're with right. aren't entirely random factors. Right. There's common ground, and the College of Curiosity plans events specifically with your kind of nerdy, curious bent in mind. So you come back having spent the same money for a much better experience. You come back with friends. You come back enriched. Anyway, check it out. It's at collegeofcuriosity.com. There are other little trips we do now, but right now, Australia is where it's at. See Australia for really low money and really great people. And now we leave you with the answer to the puzzle. Yes, the puzzle. So... Guy's in a bar. It's in the 1950s. He shows off his medal because he's a war hero from World War I. And on the back of the medal, it says, For meritorious service in the Somme, World War I, long live the king. And the bartender calls him on it and says, that's a fake medal. Why? If you thought it was because it says, long live the king. No, that's wrong. England did have a king during World War I. It was King George V. No, the problem is that it says World War I. There was oh. no World War I until World War II. Yeah. So if you got a medal during World War I, it may have said the Great War, but it never would have said World War I.